You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. My kids love Doritos. I loved Doritos as a kid. Now... I can't stand Doritos, but I think I, the only reason I can't stand them is because I'm afraid they're too unhealthy for me. So maybe maybe I'm biased too much for some reason. But I was looking on Quora, which is like the Q&A site, and there are so many questions about Doritos. There's a question, why are Doritos so addictive? Why are Doritos so popular? Why do I love Doritos so much? Is there really a market for lady-friendly Doritos? Like someone cares enough to write a question on Quora about that. Here's another one. Can I die from eating Doritos? I don't know if that's a question from a person who wants to commit suicide or is nervous about dying. It could go either way. Which one is better, Doritos or Fritos? They want to make a correct decision before they make a life choice like this. Are Doritos good for me? What brand of generic Doritos comes the closest? Because, you know, some people want to save money, but they still want the Doritos taste. And then I saw on Twitter this thread by Trunk Fan who also, by the way, you should follow him on Twitter, Trung Fan, just search it on Twitter. He's has got a bunch of great Twitter threads, and he's got a great newsletter at Substack, Trung Fan, it's T-R-U-N-G-P-H-A-N.substack.com for his newsletter. Ton of great stuff there. And so I called him, and Trung, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. You wrote a whole thread about why Doritos are so addictive. James, uh, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I I have to say I share your affinity for the core website when it comes to these type of questions. I can't say I have ever been personally addicted to Doritos. I do like Cool Ranch. That is my favorite flavor uh, of them all. Which, by the way, you know, is not sold in any other country. Oh, is it? I know. I'm up in Canada. We Actually, that's a great point. Maybe just North America. <laughs> is it called is it called Cool Ranch in Canada? I don't remember the last time I had them, but if it was a little bit different, I wouldn't be shocked because I know the chips uh, flavoring is often very different between uh, Canada and the U.S. Like we have ketchup and dill pickle, which are hugely popular. Oh, ketchup and dill pickle uh, flavored Doritos? No, just uh, chips in general, like speaking of flavors that are, are, are more representative in Canada. Oh, yeah, like in South America, they might have like plantain flavored exactly. potato chips and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, Cool Ranch is in America, and I, I think it might be in other countries, but under completely different names. Right. But um, uh, why did you write this thread about Doritos? I uh, I literally— Oh, no, I, should, I just want to mention, by the way, uh, you, you also host the Not Investment Advice podcast, yep. excellent podcast. Thank you. And all right, I just wanted to say that. But uh, yeah, why did you write this thread about Doritos? So I saw somebody write, and I'd heard it before. And I, so you know how they have these urban legends around kind of the fast food industry. And one of them that always comes up is like, 
Little Doritos like perfectly engineered uh, to be a snack, right? And I've heard this so many times. And I reread it again uh, sometime last week. I can't remember what article it was. And I was just like, all right, I got to dig into this. And I, I, need, I need to see what they actually mean. Because with any type of fast food, like the intuition that it's engineered to be addictive, like that's not really shocking at all, right? Like even in the threads, if you read the comments, there are a lot of snarky re- replies like, oh, wow, this guy discovered that uh, carbs are addictive, right? Like kind of that snarky attitude. But it's like, yeah. yes, I get that. There's like the there's like the superficial answer of carbs are addictive. I totally get that. But when I started digging into the Doritos thing, it's like, the, the amount of like scientific brain power that has gone into creating this product is just astounding. And uh, you probably heard over the past decade and a half, uh, a lot of people bemoaning that aren't the smartest engineers of our mind are getting us to click ads faster. I mean, you could talk the same about chemists, right? Like the world's top chemists are basically making things like Doritos. And Doritos is a monster business. I, I believe it's PepsiCo's second largest brand. So they do a billion a year since the mid 90s or early 90s. This is this so like Doritos has sold literally tens of billions of dollars over its existence and it was founded in the 60s. So I just wanted to dig in a couple of things that you saw in the thread. And, and yeah, because you got into so much detail uh, about the chemistry also that I'm, I'm amazed. So, and then I've, I, I did my own research. Yeah, I have a few things to, to add to some of your comments, but like, yeah, let's, uh, let's hit your, but, but, but again, though, why did it's one thing being fascinated by it? What made you do a Twitter thread on it? Oh, and so- by the way, your Twitter thread <laughs> on it has th- fifth one has 1900 retweets and almost 10,000 likes. Yeah. I, I can give you the Doritos. impression count here on it, but it's probably in the millions at this point. Yeah. 3 million impressions, but, uh, yeah, I so to answer your question is I like to uh, write a lot of Twitter threads. Uh, Twitter threads are great for certain type of topics. Like for me, my most viral Twitter threads, and I've had ones that will reach 10, 15 million people, uh, which is equivalent to about 40, 50,000 likes on the first tweet. That's kind of how you gauge it. Is uh, uh. ones that can reach about 15 tweets in a in a tweet thread that's like the that's just like the perfect length that's like if a dorito scientist was creating a tweet thread it'd be 15 tweets and uh the thing about this one that was great was and it, it happens a lot on twitter as you've probably seen over the past year is if you can kind of have something that is numbered as in here are seven things of why doritos are so addictive and this ends up being six things that i added uh it becomes a little bit like a listicle. Like, I don't want to totally downgrade to like a listicle status. But the idea is that somebody's scrolling through their uh, uh, Twitter feed. They're seeing hundreds of pieces of content per minute. And they're just like, okay, I'm going to stop and actually read this guy's thing or this girl's thing. If I can learn something, that's what I'm going to get off of. So that's kind of how I approach it. I'm like, you know what? There's six or seven things that I think if anybody read this thread, they can at least walk away from two minutes consuming this thread and, and being like much more educated about Doritos. And I've answered for them the question that, I, as you pointed out on core, many people have. And Twitter is, you know, specifically uh, uh, engineered to be a great viral mechanism. So it's a great way for people to potentially learn about this. Um, and I'm happy to get into the specifics of it if, if you want me to uh, dive into the 101. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. So yeah, let's go. So, and, and you say, so you say, by the way, that, that Doritos are a good way to understand junk food in yes. general. So it's not even just about Doritos. It's about all of these snacks that we totally. are addicted to. And you you noted a Colorado University study on food addiction that natural ingredients are often processed to be addictive, which you know you point out grape to wine, coca leaves to cocaine, poppies to heroin. Yeah. And uh and you mentioned the analogy here is corn right. to Doritos. But I almost would say 
well, okay, uh, I guess this is part of processing, but it's corn to fried corn plus like, you know, mega seasoning. Yes. I think actually the framework you mentioned there is actually better than the one I introduced. Because actually the, there's a writer, uh, his name is Mark uh, Schultzker. I, I might be getting that wrong, but he wrote a book called The Doritos Effect. And uh, I, I, it's in one of the sources that I dug in that I left at the end. But having reread his stuff is it, actually a little bit more prominent. And he touches exactly on what you said about the flavoring, right? It's, it's not just like turning corn into Doritos. It's like you're taking the corn. So you're cooking the corn. You're turning into corn paste. And then you're chopping them into triangles. You're toasting them. Then you're deep frying them. Okay, now you have this vehicle to deliver, as you mentioned, the flavoring. And what Mark said in his book, The Doritos Effect, is effectively that flavoring is what you can consider similar to nicotine. And tobacco would be like the corn. So what makes smoking dangerous at the end of the day? Yes, smoking tobacco is bad for your lungs and it can be cancerous, right? But why do people keep going back? It's the nicotine that's addictive. And he was making the analogy that like flavoring is similar to how nicotine functions in cigarettes, which makes a lot of sense in my mind. I don't want to oversell these analogies, but I think it's just a good way to think about the framing of it and uh, to yeah. understand how just like big tobacco, like big food, like the junk food industry, they're taking these ingredients. I mean, at the end of the day, they're trying to make money. So how do they make it as addictive as possible, right? And we're going to talk, obviously, through some of the points, but I think the seasoning part is a massive, massive part of it, which you identified. And then, and then after that, I want to ask you about the same techniques. Like, like let's say hypothetically, you and I wanted to make our own, you know, super addictive snack. I think you kind of lay out the blueprint for doing that. So we'll talk about that next. Yes. But you talk about the the obvious thing is your first tweet, which is it's this combination of fat and sugar. And in nature, you know, these things are rarely found. So when we as primates, as as you know. If, if this was 20,000 years ago and we ran into something with so much fat and so much sugar, it would be like unbelievable. Be unbelievable. We would never find anything like this. Like if Doritos grew on trees, we wouldn't have survived as a species. We'd just be <laughs> all, all over it all the time. So, so, but what is the ideal combination of fat and sugar? Right. So uh, I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I know what the ideal combination is, but I think you brought up a very good point about uh, the flavor. Like the amount of flavor that's in a Dorito is just, would be completely foreign to anybody uh, maybe a hundred years ago, right? Let alone 10,000, a hundred thousand years ago. Oh, however humans have been around. Yeah. But uh, the uh, Mark brings up something very interesting in his, uh, his book, The Doritos Effect, is there's more gene, uh, as part of your kind of DNA sequencing, more of it is dedicated to kind of the flavor and sensing than almost any other part, uh, a function of your body. Is that clearly having a taste, the ability to taste things and identify flavors has been very important uh, uh, historically, and that it makes a lot of sense, right? It's a similar like how when you saw a certain berry or or the taste of it was a certain way, you knew it was potentially poisonous, right? So flavors did impart some very important knowledge evolutionarily. Um, but to your point, uh, original question is what is kind of the 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 ideal mix of what is like what should be fat, sugar, protein? Uh, I, I know that there are a lot of competing things nowadays. You know, there's a keto diet, and then there's some people like, oh, you know what? It's actually okay if you eat fifty percent carbs. But in terms of in the wild, like in our brain, if you were to introduce somebody in the, the, the African savanna 20,000 or 30,000 years ago, a, a, a triangle-shaped thing that was 50% carb and 50% fat, and they need to spend the rest of their day, uh, you know, surviving, that vehicle of calorie uh, 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 that's in that uh, chunk of a triangle would be extremely appetizing, right? 
So, and that's literally what the Dorito is. It's like, it's 50% fat and 50% carb. Almost 50% carb. There's, there's a little bit of protein in it. But if you look at other chip combinations, they're not quite on that level. They're in the ballpark. And again, this is not rocket science, right? It's like fat, uh, salt, and sugar. These things are very, very attractive to individuals to eat, especially in the 20th century junk food economy. But the way the Doritos has done it, it is 50-50. I don't know if that's the exact combo that will uh, create the perfect snack, but that's how they've done it. And, and it's funny because there's literally nothing else in a Dorito but fat and carbs. There's, there's like so, two grams of protein. I think it's from the uh, the milk sugar, uh, the milk powder that we'll talk about later. Well, the cheese, the cheese yeah, seasoning the cheese. must have some actual cheese yeah, particles in exactly. it. Exactly. And it's interesting. I just, I Googled one of the most popular snacks foods in America and Doritos comes in at, no, at number seven, but it's the most popular chip. Yeah. I mean, number one, basically numbers one through like four or five are all chocolate things like Oreos, Hershey's, M&M's, which kind of naturally have a ton of fat and sugar in it. Exactly, so, right? That that's an interesting thing. It's not like uh it's not like the number one candy is a Skittle, right? Because Skittle would be mostly sugar. It's the chocolates that have fat and sugar because the fat has an extra kind of, you know, uh satiated I, I satiated. Yeah, satiated. Yeah. It's just like the fat gives you a little bit more, right? It's not like Skittles are at the top. It's like these chocolates you mentioned. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? So if you think about it, pure sugar is not going to be as addictive because you'll never feel, you, you, you don't feel full from it uh, somehow. So it's like you get full from Doritos, but because there's no nutritional content, the, the fullness goes away pretty quickly. Yes, exactly. So you want to have more. Exactly. Right. It's, it's hitting different parts of your brain by having the fat. And I think, and we will talk about it later, but the fact that you don't feel full for long or it kind of just disappears is kind of the magic of the Dorito. Yeah. And so, okay. So then, um, you talk about the cooking method. Yes. So, so uh, how do you cook a Dorito? Okay, so I have, if, uh, if people are listening here and you have YouTube in front of you, you want to watch something for two minutes after, just Google Food TV, how Doritos are made. They always, they have a great video on it. But what, uh, what, the, or what I brought up in the thread, what I read uh, in my cursory research was the fact that, and I buy it. I, I buy this uh, claim that, humans have kind of evolved a taste for cooked foods, right? Which makes sense. The entire purpose- Well, well and, and, and sorry to interrupt, but you know, when, when humans invented fire, this is the first time in animal history, essentially a, a, a living species could outsource digestion. Yes. So the, re the reason humans love cooked foods is because you don't need as much money to digest. We've outsourced the digestion to, exactly. the, to the cooking process. It's a faster way to consume the calories than wasting. Like if you had to digest it yourself, you're wasting calories to consume calories, right? So at the end of the day, you might have a net loss if you're trying to digest like raw meat from uh, uh, that, you've that you've killed and hunted. But um, uh, exactly to your point is cook it, uh, fire uh, all these tens of thousands of years ago changed the way that we were able to consume calories. So it's not shocking to me that over these uh, millennia, we've developed a quote unquote taste for cooked food or, or like certain compounds that come from the cooking process. So if you take a chip, right? What is a chip usually? It's probably just cut and fried. I'm sure there are other methods, but that to me sounds like how a chip is made, like a potato chip, right? But here is the cooking method for the Dorito. So first they cook the actual corn. Uh, I believe it's just boiled. And then they mash it and turn it into a paste. And then that paste 
is toasted and then is deep fried. So we're talking like layers of layers of layers of cooking is going on. So every type of compound that comes from different cooking methods, they're rising up. I don't know in what quantities, but the cooking methods that are applied from uh, whether it's frying or toasting or, or boiling, it's just bringing everything out. And right. So, so, and it's interesting too, because the more you cook, the less nutrition it has ultimately. Exactly. So, so first, <laughs> first you're, you're boiling it, right. Just to kind of soften it up. Then you put it into this paste, which also makes it easier to digest as opposed to just yep. eating them regular. And then, and corn's notorious for not digesting well, right. It, it shows up in your feces if you don't, yep. you know, mash it like this and then toast it. I guess that means just heating it up. So it's a little, so the paste becomes a little harder. And then I, uh, what exactly is deep frying? This is a stupid question, but I don't actually know. Well, actually, so the, the toasting actually serves a very good purpose. It takes out the moisture. Cause I don't know if you ever fry something. Mm. If you fry something with water and you're on a pan and you're not wearing a shirt, that fry, that oil is coming to hit your chest, right? It's like, Typically, when you fry, you want something to have a lot of the moisture taken out. Uh, and and that, that's kind of the purpose of the toasting here. Uh, so to answer your question on the frying, from what I observed from this video, it literally just looks like a giant conveyor belt of vegetable oil heated to, you know, whatever X amount of temperature and the chips are just flying in there. Like you would literally f uh, fry uh, a rounded potato at your home uh, in a frying pan in an industrial and, scale. And so why does frying make everything taste good? <laughs> like if I, if I take broccoli and serve it to my kids when they were babies, they wouldn't eat it. Right. But if you fry it, oh, no problem. They'll eat it. <laughs> well, I think I, that's a great question. I, uh, uh, my, uh, again, my non-scientific guess, because I didn't look into this specifically, but just from my own anecdotal experience and things I, I have come across is, well, A, the texture, right? The texture is such a huge part of it. Uh, you get the crunch from frying. Uh, there's no question that in broccoli, when you fry it, you're going to be a lot more crunchy than otherwise would. And the other part of it, you're adding, I mean, you're straight up just adding fat to the process, right? There, there's that fat component that we talked about. And that's where the fat comes in on the Dorito. It's, it's I see, because the oil has fat in it. And so it kind of, it kind of um, um, embeds that fat into the, into Absolutely. the chip. There's going to be a lot more fat than if you didn't deep fry it, right? <laughs> And what's the difference between deep frying and frying? Oh, that's a great question. I actually don't know if there's a the huge. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's a material to what they're doing. Uh, I guess just calling it frying is probably the safest. They're literally just putting it in an oil at a very hot temperature. You have pan and, and fry that, versus deep fry. I guess. I guess the difference would be uh, the amount of volume and what it's heated to. Okay. No. So at this point, where it's been deep fried, is this similar to just a regular tortilla? Uh, I would. It's comparable, right? At this point, it's comparable. It's just tortilla. And if you actually go back to the history behind Doritos, why was it invented? So the person that invented Doritos, his name was Arch West. What he wanted to do was take the flavor of a taco and turn it into a shape of a nacho. So you know all the flavors you get in a taco, right? You get the ground beef or chicken with the seasoning. Yeah. Then you get the cheese on top of it. He wanted to take all that flavor and turn it into a chip. So to answer your question of, is it just kind of like a normal nacho? It is. And then I think we are kind of teasing what the next part is. How do you add all the other stuff on top to make it more than just a nacho? Because on the list of the most popular snack foods, Tostitos, which is like kind of the same process of corn that's cooked and corn mashed into paste and then corn deep fried, that's a Tostito, but it only made it to number 16. 
the real magic comes next. Hey, well, what do you got to do with Tostitos? Because you got to buy yourself some type of dip, right? But what if you had a vehicle yeah, good point. that had everything on it already? What if you didn't have to dip it and it just had all the crazy flavors that you're looking for? Which, again, Arch West, former, he was a VP of marketing, sales and marketing. Yeah, and you know, you know, you know, I know a little bit more to the story. So what happened was some restaurant had surplus tortillas. They had like too many at Disneyland. Yes. And they needed to use them. So they, that's when they kind of like fried it up and put some seasoning on it. Not not what they put on now, but some seasoning. And there was like lines all through the park. And Arch West saw this. One other little tidbit. He died at the age of 97. Totally, you know, until his death, totally healthy. A month before he died, he was still at work testing the wow. latest Doritos at his job. Yeah. Dedicated to the cause. Good. <laughs> that, that's yeah. one, that, that, that was his life's mission. That was like his 50-year life mission. <laughs> is creating the perfect delivery vehicle for flavors. I've never Googled an image of him. I got to just see if he was like a nice, trim, athletic-looking guy. Yeah. Or uh, let's see. Arch West, Doritos creator, Arch West. Oh, he gets an unusual burial. I forgot to mention that because everybody dropped at his funeral, dropped like Doritos into the... Um, in, I oh, guess into the hole. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Wow, that yeah, is interesting. Let me see the the images. Uh, oh no, it just shows up with the 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 uh, the St. Louis arch. But I'm using your Yahoo search engine, so that just shows you the quality of Yahoo yeah. search engine. But um, well, let me add something me actually to the founding of it that you mentioned. What was actually very uh, from the top? We had mentioned the the book, the Doritos Effect. They brought up a very the author Mark brought up a very interesting point is another thing that happened around the founding of the Doritos chip, which is the mid-60s, was uh, the gas chromatograph where you could actually chemically look at what flavors were, right? You could actually distill what they look like. That came around the same time. So instead of him just saying, hey, it would be cool if I could turn a taco into a nacho, he could actually chemically break down what was in a taco and then step by step, start rebuilding it. What powder do I add? You know, uh, what, uh, what, what quantity of sugar versus salt do I add? So that all came up. The science of it really came up together with his ambition to make this, uh, this product. And then, um, okay. So then of course the Doritos ship has like 6,000 flavor <laughs> enhancers on it. Like what, what, did, what did you come up with? So I'm looking at the ingredient list right here. And, uh, you know, there's a very shorthand recommendation that a lot of uh, health, uh, healthy individuals like to say is just like, you should just eat food with like the least amount of ingredients possible. Like a cucumber has one ingredient. It's a cucumber, right? And like yeah. an avocado has one ingredient. It's an avocado. But man, you look at the ingredients for uh, Doritos, it's wild. And almost any junk food. So um, corn, vegetable oils are the top two things. But then the flavor enhancers are where it gets interesting, right? So there, there is MSG. MSG is known to cause the salivation uh, on the tongue. And when you salivate, flavors come up more. And as we'll learn later, it also helps mush the, the Dorito, which has an interesting effect, which we'll discuss later. Sugar and salt, as we as Oh, we wait, discussed. I have a question about, about MSG, so monosodium glutamate. Yeah. So you're saying it, it salivates the tongue. Why does like MSG on anything taste so good? It's a, it's a salivation. It, it's, to my understanding, it That's is a the salivation. Total it? I, I, that is the that is the core of it is like the, the actual it, it makes you salivate and when you salivate i mean i'm salivating right now just thinking about it and uh <laughs> and when you salivate it breaks down flavors right and then the things come out and that i see so the flavors that are in there are enhanced like ex super enhanced exactly well imagine you have a dry okay. mouth right if you imagine right now literally just imagine you're eating a cracker 
and then afterwards, it doesn't, you, nothing, you don't feel flavors flying around if your mouth is dry, right? But if, as soon as you start salivating, which I literally am salivating right now, I can just start imagining different flavors. That's so funny. All right, so MSG. And by the way, um, I had a guy on the podcast who's the New York Times food editor. Uh, Jay, do you remember this? Uh, he, he wrote a book called like Five Food Myths, something like that. And it, the first chapter, I think, was how MSG is not bad for you. It's not good for you, but it's not bad for you. It's like neutral. Right, there was, the, uh, there was a scare about the Chinese restaurant syndrome, right? It's like every time you came, a lot of individuals would eat a Chinese restaurant because they are well known to use a lot of MSG and not feel well afterwards. Um, yeah, I don't know whether or not that is true. If it is a myth, then I'm sure I'm, uh, I'm, sure I'm spreading a lot of myths right now as it is. So uh, I'm happy to be corrected. Jay, were you going to add something to that? Oh, no, I was about to say, is this Stephen Gundry? No, Aaron Carroll wrote a book about so food myths. He, he writes a column for the New York Times, and he wrote a book about the five biggest food myths. And the first one was MSG is not bad for you. So, okay, so, so it's got MSG. What else has it got? Uh, the other thing it has, which are interesting, is, uh, well, disodium, inosenite, and guanolate. I don't know what those are. They're flavor enhancers. I think they do the sim similar things where they uh, get you to salivate more. There are actually some very specific things that make you salivate, actually. Let me, let me call them out. Is, uh, it is called, I believe citric acid is one ingredient that makes you salivate. Uh, and the, again, the salivation really helps bring out the flavor. Yes, it's uh, lactic and citric acid get the saliva flowing. In addition to creating more flavors or helping bring them out, it also triggers the impulse to eat, uh, which makes a lot of sense too because there's a connection between salivation and when, when you're eating. And, um, and then back to the ingredients, the last thing I'll add is uh, all the different powders they have. So they have onion powder, garlic powder, green pepper and red pepper powder, uh, and tomato powder. So as we mentioned, Arch West wanted to bring the flavors of a taco into a nacho. That's one way of doing it. Get all the powders of all those different ingredients you have in a taco, right? But what's interesting about that is the mix creates what's known uh, called a, a non-specific aroma. And what that means is not a single flavor dominates. So you're eating the chip. You're like, oh, well, there's some cheese. I think uh, uh, there's a hint of garlic. I think there's some onion there. I'm pretty sure there's some onion. And what that does is when one flavor doesn't dominate, it doesn't make you super full. That's part of the effect of the fullness not being recognized by your body. The body almost wants to get more full on these flavors, but it's not. It's, it's not registering, right? So Coca-Cola actually has non-specific aroma. It also is known for this effect, which is why, I mean, I mean Warren Buffett is obviously an investor in Coca-Cola, one of its big, I think he owns 10% of the company. Uh, but he, he's called it out before. It's like, there's no taste memory with Coca-Cola. That's why you can keep drinking it. And, and you never, you don't, I listen, I've gotten sick of Coca-Cola, but I know, let's just be honest, this, this place sells tens of millions of dollars a year of, canned sugar, right? So clearly this, this uh, non-taste memory, this non-specific aroma of Doritos or Coca-Cola allows people to keep coming back because you're not sick of it and, and your body's not just like, you know, pushing it away. That's so funny because for instance, I'll eat Doritos, but I hate, I can't stand cheese in right. part because of the smell of cheese. <laughs> right. But I guess I don't smell cheese when I eat a Dorito. Right, right. Non-specific aroma. You're trying to identify what it is. Could be anything. Right, it's just like this amorphous food that has this intense flavor. And you're right, you're right. Uh, Tostitos, you need salsa. But here, between tomato powder, red and green bell pepper, and sugar, you've got salsa. Yeah, you have, no, exactly, right? It's there, it's on the chip for you to enjoy. And I, I, I think uh, it's a perfect segue into the next uh, a bit I had was about the cheese, right? So according to the Food Network, uh, actually, it's either this or another article about uh, 
uh, making the Doritos, but they go through 10,000 cows a year uh, to create enough dairy for the amount of cheese they put on a Dorito. And this actually brings up the most contested claim from the thread. So I wrote that Casa Morphine uh, is a compound that's released when you eat cheese, and it hits the same brain receptors that heroin does to release dopamine. So I saw this in a couple articles about Doritos. I got an angry DM. It wasn't an angry DM, but uh, a, a, a professor of a nutrition or, or in, the, in that vein wrote me, said, Hey, Trung, I love your threads, but the Castle Morphine uh, comment way off base. He said that you cannot physically eat enough cheese to trigger the same effect that heroin does. You know, I get that. That does make a lot of sense. But you should read the replies to that tweet because it's just like, I think this guy's trying to challenge me. Like the readers are like, I will guarantee you I can eat enough Doritos to hit the uh, dopamine markers. Well, it's interesting. So it's definitely, so I'm looking at it all on Wikipedia. We're basically scientists of Wikipedia. So we're, <laughs> we're Wikipedia certified scientists and professors. And it, it is called an opioid peptide. Apparently this, this protein digests slowly and it does act like opiates in the body as they enter the bloodstream. Although it doesn't say how much you have to eat in order to Get the heroin have effect. like, <laughs> yeah, but it does have withdrawal symptoms though. Okay. So you might not get high like heroin, but if you have a bag of Doritos and then immediately stop, you're going to have withdrawal, which of course makes it more right. addictive. And it is very concentrated. So the pleasurable effect is, is greater. So you do get a little bit of the effect of the pleasurable effect of, of heroin. So that combined with withdrawal effects gives it an addictive quality. Well, one of the comments that I think uh, we can semi-laugh about is somebody wrote, okay, if this uh, doctor that DM'd you believes that uh, Doritos are not addictive, why don't you put one chip in front of him <laughs> and then put like a bear trap around the bag and see if after eating the first chip, he'll go after the bag. You know what? I, I am not a scientist. I'm happy to hear both sides, but there's something there. There's a there there. I believe there's a there there. Yeah, no, I think what it is, is is exactly this. It's not like shooting up heroin in an alley, but it has all the same effects on the body, but just at a reduced level. Right. So there's an addictive quality and, you know, it might lead to some kind, you know, what happens with withdrawal? You get some kind of anxiety, you get some kind of depression. Uh, all these things happen if you immediately stop eating junk food in general, but Doritos being the most popular junk food, Doritos in particular. 100%. And, and by the way, I'm not accusing Doritos of no, causing yes. anxiety. I'm just saying, we're just talking about casomorphine. So, and it hasn't. And, and, the, and just, uh, and again, in processed foods in general, right? As you said at the top, like Doritos is a great example of all types of processed foods. It's just probably the most extreme and easiest to grasp because a lot of people have eaten it and you can identify with, hey, look, there's this like chip that used to be a nacho and now it's just been bombarded with flavors. Like that's easy for people to grasp. I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, 
I always realized, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Now, let me ask you this. Like, and this holds for the other powders, too, like tomato powder and red and green bell pepper powder. Is the food themselves somehow in this powder, or is it like... It, it, like does tomato powder contain tomato? Does the cheese in Doritos contain actual cheese or like the just cheese some is legit. sort of synthetic? The, according to the powder, uh, I can't speak specifically to Doritos, but in terms of flavoring, like there are flavoring types now that are purely just made from the lab. It's because the science has gone that far. Like you can create any flavor. You have the chemical compounds. You know the chemical makeup of it and you can just create it in the lab. Now, whether or not Doritos is... Are they using onion powder that has actual trace onion in it? I don't know the answer to that, but do they have the option? You're saying chemically, yeah. it's the same as onion. Yeah. And, and But you're saying though the cheese comes from actual cheese. Yeah, they, they use 10,000 cows uh, a year, according to this one wow. piece. So the cheese is legit. Okay, so, so, so that's the cheese. And then uh, your next item was called contrasting texture, which is fascinating. Yeah. This is uh, something we alluded to with uh, the saliva. So when you bite... A Dorito, it's crunchy, but very soon as the saliva gets to it, it dissolves and can just kind of disappears. This is not as extreme as a, a soft Cheetos, you know, the puffy Cheetos. Those literally just melt in your mouth. But that, yeah. that, that sensation of a food disappearing in your mouth, it's called the vanishing uh, caloric density. And this feeling of food vanishing actually signals to your brain that you need to eat more, which makes sense. Makes all sense in the world, right? Well, so there's so many different things in this food that make you want more. But I, I never heard of this vanishing caloric density, but it, it makes sense. So it's as if your body doesn't, you, it's as if your body was about to get feed itself, but then suddenly the brain thinks, wait a sec, what happened to that yeah. food? We didn't get fed. It's <laughs> physically gone, right? Like the, the sensation of having, because all this is connected, right? Everything's connected. Your mouth, your stomach, your brain. I know there's tons of studies about, you know, how the gastronomy of your stomach affects your mood and all your thinking. All this is connected. Yeah. What I will mention is the professor that was mad at me about the cheese and the calcimorphine claim said that the vanishing caloric density claim was correct. So I'm at least one for two on these claims, uh, on our last two claims. So that was... So you're halfway to your PhD. Yeah, I'm halfway to my PhD. So there's <laughs> that part of it. And, uh, and I, I do want to call out one thing is uh, uh, a lot of, this, a lot of these um, kind of tidbits about Doritos also was written by a, a, an author named Stephen Witherly. He wrote a book called Why Humans Like Junk Food. There's three books I guess I would call out. Uh, sugar, uh, Salt, Sugar, Fat, which you probably heard of. That was a big bestseller. Yeah. So those three books... Uh, uh, these are widely covered. Like I'm not the originator of any of these ideas, but the, 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 the Doritos effect, why humans like junk food and, and salt, sugar, fat, cover the processed food industry to a T. So how, how did they make it though so it quickly dissolves in the mouth? You know what it is? A lot of it, it has to do, it has to do with the saliva. And that's why the citric and lactic acid are really important. And all these other chemicals that we called out that kind of create the saliva effect. And that makes sense, right? Saliva is literally there to dissolve food and help you digest calories. Ah, 
Yeah, that makes sense. So if you're if suddenly like there's more moisture, it's going to dissolve faster. Yeah, exactly. Why do you think we like the crunch? The crunch? Like what? Like for instance, originally this is soft flour tortilla, right? So so why do we like the crunch better than the soft tortillas? I think my anecdotal take on crunch is I literally just like the feel of it. It is a hard feel and the crunch sound that comes with it. It's just ingrained in me. I know that when I'm doing that, it's probably something I'm going to like, right? If it's a chip, if it's a fry, if it's a, uh, a, a deep fried food, all those foods I mentioned, which are highly addictive and highly processed, they'll have the crunch factor. And, uh, but specifically the Doritos, I think the contrast is what makes it interesting. It, 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 all, it all kind of plays to the idea of this food memory just going away. It's like, you can't identify what's going on. It's crunchy, then it's soft and gone. Uh, it's got onion powder, it's got cheese, it's got tomato, it's got garlic. You can't identify what it is. Your brain's just like trying to grasp on what's going on. The entire time, you're just scarfing this whole bag of it down, right? So I think that's all part of it. It's interesting. It's like, it's, think of like a good movie, right? It starts off usually with some kind of mystery, you know, like Star Wars, what is this thing called the force? How did Darth Vader get to be Darth Vader? How is Luke going to find this princess? There's mystery. And I'm making kind of a very big leap here to make this analogy. But when you eat a Dorito, what you're saying is there's a lot of mystery. Like what is going on? How does this tortilla chip basically have like, it's like, it's got all the salsa and all the flavors in the chip and then it disappears there's no smell, so you can't identify yeah. <laughs> it. It's just filled with, it's a mystery chip somehow. Well, I think, so. I don't think it's a huge leap what you're saying, right? Obviously, you know, apples to oranges in the sense you're talking about watching a movie, using one of your senses to consume a narrative versus physically eating something. But then the day, I think a lot of people will agree with the fact that we are naturally curious because curiosity was how you survived for all these years, right? It's like, yeah. this is why the curiosity gap works in, in, in writing uh, blog posts and writing tweets is because humans need to know what's on the other side of it because if we didn't 10,000 years ago, you're dead. If you didn't know what was behind the bush and you had no interest in finding out, you're going to get eaten, right? So the curiosity element, I don't think that's a huge leap at all. It's like by having no identifiable flavor or, or strong sense that overpowers, you're searching and you're grasping. I think that's just very human and natural. I love this final point because I wonder that you make, which we haven't described yet, but I wonder if they chemically designed it that way. Like they <laughs> tested something and they saw that, oh, the people who have this particular feature you're about to describe eat more than people who don't have this feature. Right. And the last thing uh, uh, to, to, to pull the mystery back of what James is talking about is at the end of a bag of Doritos, your fingers are just covered in this dust. And uh, I personally have one of two options. I'm wiping it on my shirt or I'm licking my fingers clean. And I have to say that it's the latter that I've been doing all of these years when I do eat Doritos. And uh, according to the author of Why Humans Like Junk Food, that mix that we've been describing. So we've been talking up this powder mix now for 20 minutes, right? But that's like five times concentrated on your fingers. So you're licking that and it's just like the most- Why is it concentrated so much on the fingers? Oh, it's just because it's, all it is, it's just the powder now. There's, there's no chip. Right? Uh, yeah. So before right. it was like 10% powder, 90% chip. Now it's 100% powder. So it's that's what it is. It's concentrated versus eating the chip, right? I think that's what he was meaning. That's what he meant. It's not like it got more concentrated like versus uh, the compound itself. But at the end, it's just that's all there is. And um, it's a flavor. How explosion. do they chemically design it so that it sticks on your fingers? 
That's a great question. Your fingers literally look orange afterwards. Yeah, it's great. I don't know about that. I think that's just like I think that's more of a scary thing of a, when you start uh, moving into non-natural things. That uh, that that that's a, just a sign from nature that you should stop using it. And then you mentioned something later on, like after the thread, uh, eye candy. You said that researchers have shown that consumers are attracted to bright colors. Yeah. And Doritos have three artificial colorings, two different yellows and a red. And Doritos are pretty, you know, bright. Like you could, if someone's eating a Dorito, I could probably see that from a hundred feet away, as opposed to like, if they're eating just like a potato chip. Well, actually, now that you mentioned it, I, I never thought about this, but if you were to say, hey, what are the most, uh, uh, if you were to identify, like from a branding standpoint, uh, a chip or chip type snack, I mean, Cheetos and Doritos, top, right, straight top of mind, right? It's like, what, what am I going to describe as a color for uh, a salt and vinegar, right? There's nothing there that doesn't stand out. But like right. Cheetos and Doritos, immediately top of mind. Yeah, like, uh, like you could say potato chips are yellow, but they're not like bright. Like there's some, there's a brightness to that Dorito, and 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 even like you said, the Cheeto. I'm trying to think what other ones are 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 bright like that. Like what other junk food is bright? In terms, in general, yeah. I mean, you, when you start talking about M and M's, Skittles, the, those things are very memorable. Also, um, I think there's a naturalness to the Dorito, right? Because you're thinking, oh, it's corn, it's a corn chip, it looks natural. But you look at that thing. <laughs> Those colors are not found in in nature the way it is on that chip, right? Yeah. So, oh, so here's something interesting. Um, did you know that in 1994, the Doritos they spent 50 million dollars to read to do research about what people like and don't like about Doritos, and so they they did a complete redesign. A, they made the chips 20 percent larger and 15 percent thinner, and they rounded the edges of the chip. And the reason they rounded the edges is because previously, you know, Doritos, like when I was a kid, Doritos were had sharp corners and there would be just in the natural process oh. of eating chips out of the bag, there would be too much scraps of corners right. on the bottom. Right. So they were, they're basically able to round the corners so people get the full effect of the bag. And I guess that means they could have to put less chips in there uh, to get people just as, as full. I don't know why the, oh, the 20% larger has to do with how in restaurants, when you go to a restaurant and have like kind of salsa and chips, the chips are about 20% right. larger than what they, they sell in, in general snacks or they oh, were. restaurant so now, style, now, right? Tostitos literally has a bag called restaurant style chips because that is- Yeah, and they're larger. Yeah, exactly. And, and so this was, they did a, this was 5,000 chip eaters they did their studies on and over two years and they spent $50 million. And, and oh, the other thing is they, they um, put more seasoning on. Right. Well, I mean, this all goes back to how we started at the very top. This is engineered, right? It's literally engineered to be the perfect snack. Think about that. They spent 50 mil, but for a product that does a bill a year, it's totally worth it. Does this move the needle for them 10%? Does that 50 million get them 10% more sales? Well, if it does, they made 100 mil. So they made 50 million profit yeah. on that, right? So there's no question. No, it's definitely worth it. And then, of course, they've introduced tons of new flavors and uh, they redesigned their logo. They do all sorts of things. They, they, average, they must spend... They must have spent now over $100 million on Super Bowl ads because they're in every Super right. Bowl. I don't know if they were in this last one, but they're in most Super Bowls. So it's... Okay, so now here's the question. Let's say I took a potato and I sliced it up thin, did basic boiling and frying. I made it like a homemade potato chip. If I did the same thing, if I now like put in, you know, I guess you put in the powders in the frying process. So let's say I put in tomato powder, bell powder. I put in a ton of MSG. I guess all this stuff gets wrapped into the frying. Do you think I'd have something? You think I could make an addictive snack? 
I mean, I think you can make an addictive snack. Would it be a Dorito? Is that the larger question that you want to get to? Because I don't, I think a couple of things now is, um, I don't know how you're approaching, but more practically is obviously 2022 is much different than 1965 or 1960s, that there's much more health conscious. If you came out with yeah. like the least healthy snack possible, but it was super addictive, I don't know how the mar- it would play to the market. But if you're speaking to just like individually, the taste of it, I'm sure you can get pretty damn close to making a chip like as addictive as a Dorito is. You know, whatever, like, yes, there's the market and the market says that they're health conscious, but are they really health conscious? Like most people, like would a kid turn down? If, if I did what the process I just described, would a kid turn it down? Probably not. Right. It's like the same thing when people say, oh, I'm not going to use a product if, um, if it's really bad for the climate. Uh, unless it's something they really need and then they'll use any product. They, they don't care. Sure. So, cause like almost every product could be bad for the environment in, in some way or other. Like the same people who, who, who wear leather jackets say they won't use something that's bad for the environment. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I always wonder, like, I think the market is just if people like the taste or not. Fair enough. And, Fair enough. And I think, I guess the question comes then, and I haven't had a chance to research this. What functionally is the difference between making a, potato chip versus a corn chip right like what is the taste profile the texture profile which makes one more successful than the other can a potato chip carry as much flavor as a corn chip is there something to do with the corn paste itself versus a potato i don't know the answer to those questions but that would be interesting yeah that's really interesting yeah because the potato chip i guess it probably dissolves faster in the mouth for one thing but that's just because they're super thin yeah uh I don't know. Like again, let, or let's even say out of the chip industry. What if I took, what if I, this is going to sound disgusting, but what if I took steak and, and did all the, put on everything that's in a Dorito. Right. So I had a Dorito steak. Well, a steak like taco, I put on tomato right? powder. I, I'm pretty sure they have yeah. steak flavored Doritos. Let me Google that actually. Steak flavored. I wouldn't be shocked if they did steak flavored. But, but I'm even thinking a Dorito flavored sna- steak. Oh. <laughs> so I take a steak and I put on tomato powder right. and green pepper powder. And I put in MSG and I put in like, I, I fry it up and, and fry it wrapped in cheese. And uh, I wonder if that would, well, that would be a better tasting steak than regular steak. Well, let me bring up one last point from uh, uh, Mark Schatzker who wrote uh, the Doritos effect. The, he mentions very specifically that two things have happened. It's not just that more flavoring has come into play in the past half century, as we've shown with Doritos and the junk food industry. But flavor in natural food has gone down. And the reason is this. When you're industrially farming uh, vegetables, say for example, what are you optimizing for? Shelf life, disease resistance, and volume, right? But that actually takes away from the taste, which is why, I mean, you grow a tomato in your backyard. It's going to taste different than an industrial grown tomato. So as the junk food industry and the chemical industry has created more ways to add flavors to food, natural foods have lost flavor. So the reason why I bring all this up is when you're saying, could you Dorito a steak? I would put it this way. If you had a shitty cut of meat, right? That was industrially made, you probably should Dorito that steak. But if you're getting the best cut of meat possible, you know, the one that has not been industrial, it's a, it's whatever, grass fed or Wagyu, it's been beaten up, the, the beaten, I don't want to say it in a negative way, but like, you know, it's marbled with all the yeah. fats. You're not going to have to add taste, right? Like that thing. Like that is right, like, it's filled with fat. Yeah. It's great. It's great from the fat. I don't know if it's got 
carbs, but it's certainly got the fat. It's got like this, the flavoring of the cow. So, the, and like you said, they, they, with Kobe beef, they like feed it beer. Yeah. They feed, they feed it all these things that are tasty so that you're ultimately, you are what you eat and, and the cow is what it eats. So that's what you're tasting. Uh, so yeah, I wonder what the, what the most popular or what the best tasting organic food is. I think, I mean, just from my experiences, uh, you know, ha- having tasted vegetables from, so in Vancouver, like, Organic farming or backyard farming is very popular here, but I've tasted like small sized tomatoes, onions, kale. It's delicious. It's just, it's not comparable, right? It's just, you can really taste what these vegetables were meant to taste like. And, and the other part of it that's kind of, if you actually think about it, it's a little bit sickening is for thousands of years, the only way you could taste an orange was to eat an orange. Now orange is everywhere. You have orange candies, you have orange drink, you have orange flavored this, orange flavored that. So the specialness of an orange has just been completely diluted by our taste buds, right? And like uh, how we consume food. And I'm not like a super, uh, you know, plant food in your backyard type of individual, but I I totally get the sentiment of we're losing a lot of what made dealing with food and and enjoyable and what was right about the food industry. It's getting lost. But having said that, you got to balance it out with feeding the world. So there's that other angle. Yeah, no, that that's why I'm always curious about people who are really against genetic genetically modified foods. Like if you didn't have genetically modified foods, you wouldn't be able to feed yeah. an extra 5 billion people that need to be Absolutely. fed. So, and it's not like I mean, I guess they argue that it's unhealthy, but again, billions of people live very long lives and would have died earlier if they didn't, you know, because they're not starving to death. So, but but and also to your point earlier about the market, like I think the the interest in organically grown fo- foods and local foods and you know farm to table kind of helps s- slow down this trend of losing nutrition as we mass feed the population so i think all these trends ca- are kind of working together to keep us probably as a species healthy enough to survive but we'll see no absolutely well james i know that i've, I've read a couple of your works on when you're always looking at the next industries and vertical farming is something that could very much happen right it's like it's not going to be industrial scale, but individuals being able to create at certain volumes and in a sustainable way, uh, kind of their quote unquote own ingredients. I mean, that's on the roadmap for some places, right? The vertical farming is quite a big thing in the Midwest. Oh yeah. And also like, taking it one generation further, uh, stem cells that are actual meat, you know, that right. are made into actual meat, but don't come from a cow. So they're, right. they're actual cow meat in every, in a hundred percent of the way, but they're completely nutritious because they don't have whatever bad things the cow might've eaten in its life. And, but it really is, you know, chemically grown or biologically grown meat. It just doesn't come from a cow. Yep. Absolutely. So, so that's going to be a, a next generation as well, but Trung, thanks so much for, for enlightening us about Doritos and come, come back on the podcast next week and let's, let's figure out another topic no, to absolutely. talk about. This is, this is so this much is fun. Blast. And, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna Dorito my steak tonight, so we'll see <laughs> if I could make a uh, a steak may turned into a Dorito flavoring steak. So we'll, well see. Well, perfect. That's a perfect follow up. So, so and, and and again, uh, everybody should check out the NIA podcast. It's not investment advice podcast by Trunk Fan. Uh, P H A N is his last name. And trunkfan.substack.com or follow him on Twitter. Anything else? Anywhere else people should follow? Yeah, Trunk T Fan is the big one at Twitter. Uh, I do want to flag. Uh, I'm moving kind of my newsletter over to uh, uh, a company called Workweek, uh, but it's, it'll be the same. It'll be once a week. 
uh, uh, newsletter. You can still find it. It's all the Twitter is the easiest place to find everything. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Trung, and we'll we'll see you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, James. 